Amen. Thank you, Dave. Girls, Nancy, appreciate that much. James chapter number 5. Let's go there. James chapter number 5 as we conclude our study in the book of James. And it's been quite a time we've been in this wonderful book and practical Christianity revealed. And I believe tonight it ends on a great note and a great teaching that uh, uh, needs to be practiced by every believer in every church. And I trust that you and I will do our best as members of Faustoria Baptist Church to put it into practice. Let's read, first of all, as we did. Let me also encourage you, I should have mentioned it earlier, pray for the loonies, Rich and Angie Looney. They are out of the hospital. Praise the Lord for that. They're at Stonegate in Lapeer. That's just to the, the west of Meyer, kind of behind it in a sense. And so they're there and recovering. Surgery went well and things like that. And so just continue to pray for them. Lord, we just undertake on their behalf, heal them up and get them out of there. And uh, obviously Angie's therapy and things like that that and we want to get her through that. So just continue to pray for both of them. They are in a room together, so they've been very blessed with the hospital in there and uh, together, so we're grateful for that. But keep praying for them. I know they would appreciate that. Let's look. uh, James chapter 5. Look at verse 19 with me. He starts out, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. First thing we want to identify is the context of the passage. As it has been for much of James, it is talking to the family of God. It's not talking about a relationship out in the world. It's not talking about relationships with unbelievers, but that of fellow believers. James is seeking throughout his entire epistle, and he does it now at the end of it. He's seeking to refine, protect, and build up the church, the body of Christ, one believer at a time. And so he is attempting. In fact, I think it says something for James. Here he is, the end of his letter, and there's no closing. There's no greeting of fellow believers. There's no wasted time or ink. We might put it that way. There's only exhortation to practical Christianity until the very last word. I'd like to put it this way. This is James' heart displayed until the very end. Literally, his heart for the believer, his heart for the church, bleeds out on every page of his letter. It reveals that his delight and his goal is to turn the erring saint back to his God and at the same time instruct all of us on right, holy Christian living. That's why this study in the book of James has been such a huge help. You might have noticed that these two verses are a call to help. It's an instruction for every believer uh, to come to someone's aid. So first of all, we want to start out with this simple question. Whom am I to help? If James is instructing us, as he closes this letter and says, okay, you are a child of God. It is your responsibility to help one another. It is your job and privilege at the same time to come alongside someone else. The first statement in the verse we see this is, brethren, if any of you. It immediately speaks to the context of the family of God. It's a term that speaks of a relationship of endearment. It's a relationship of connection, fellowship. Uh, It opens doors that I don't have with anyone else. In other words, this is not speaking of a stranger. This is not speaking of an acquaintance. Yea, a brother or a sister, not just a fellow believer of Christ either. I want you to see that. He is speaking of a whole level where we have connected as God intended within the parameters of the church of Christ. 
So within the body, we're connected with, it's a, what do we call a family that is close? We'll say that they are a close-knit family. So this is the description here. He's describing in the church, fellow believers, it isn't just believers who see each other on a Sunday morning, oh, hi, how are you? Great, good to hear it, see you next week. We'll shake hands then. And we have no depth to our understanding. We have no depth to our knowledge of one another. That's not what James speaks of. In fact, this is a prerequisite for both of these verses. It is a relationship in which it is described as brothers and sisters, connected on a level that uh, is not shared by anyone else. Again, a deep relationship. This kind of action that James speaks of in this passage is only viable when it's founded upon the unity that is uniquely enjoyed among close, loving believers, and specifically among members of a local church. So the question is this then. If James in these two verses is speaking of something that can only be uh, exercised when there is a foundation of a close-knit, loving group of believers, a local body, how in the world do we create that in the church by which this can be exercised? That is critical to what we study tonight. Because if you don't have a foundation upon which to then do what James instructs us to do, it will not work. Many of us have possibly tried. Many of us have maybe done what James calls us to do here, trying to come alongside another believer, and yet the foundation was not there upon which to do the actions that are laid out for us. So what is it? Here's the question, really, the big question. How do you build the foundation by which what is presented here can occur in the relationship? Okay, so let's put it into context. How in the world do I do what James calls me to do with Sean, with Scott, with Pastor Aaron, with whoever is in this? How do we create a foundation, a relationship that is deep, uh, extensive enough where I can obey what James says to do? Well, it takes this. Obviously, we're going to use the acronym TIME. Certainly, it takes time. The first statement is this. The letter T stands for TIME TOGETHER. Very simple, a basic understanding. You literally have to be in the same proximity for lengthy periods of time. You've got to be together. You've got to come to church. You've got to be plugged in, working shoulder to shoulder, spending time together. You can't pop in, pop out, and have no connection. You have to invest time together. You have to serve together, choir, orchestra, teaching, coming, going on a mission trip, working around the church, whatever the case may be. We'll speak of in a, the congregational meeting, the idea of building a bus barn. Uh, you and I are looking at the labor. We're looking at each other, amen? Coming and working together. So how do you have time together? You just be here. Can I tell you? Many a Christian has made basically a foundation null and void for this to happen in verses 19 and 20 because they don't spend any time with the church. So then it does not provide for me to go to them, you to go to them, and do exactly what James commands us to. If they're not plugged in, if they aren't connected both physically, because honestly, a physical connection bespeaks a heart connection. Doesn't it? You take a marriage, you take a family, you see a husband that doesn't want to spend time with his wife. It isn't that he just wants to be physically separated. The reality is his heart was separated a long time ago. 
He was separated in some way. So we've got to spend time together. It builds it. Many of us who've gone on mission trips here will tell you, when you go on a mission trip together, it binds you together. It bonds you. And so it is. In the local church, we've got to spend time together. It's why we have fellowship night. Pastor, stop beating the dead horse. Okay, I'm just trying to get it through, okay? It's why we do these things. It's why we enjoy time. To, uh, we try to do different things to spend time together. Quickly, I is this. Information inclusivity. That's a great statement, isn't it? I worked hard on that one. Uh, it just means, uh, what does it mean? Well, include someone else in information about you. Literally, the idea is this. Open up to one another. Open up to one another. You know, speak of spiritual things with one another. Share your heart. Share your life. See, sometimes we've gotten it wrong. Whether it be carrying over, like we talked of this morning, a union mentality. Hey, we only share certain things. We only open up to a degree. No, in the local church, among believers, God wants you and I to include others in the information about us. I say it often, and I don't say it just simply because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in church. I've always been in church. The church, God has designed it to be the central focus of our lives. Because this is what God ordained for the nurturing and the feeding of one another. And it isn't. Don't think that I'm putting all this importance on the preaching and the preacher. Not at all. What I'm putting the importance on is the life of Christ being exercised. One with another. The design that God has. And so it necessitates information inclusivity. I've got to give you glimpses in my life. We've got to connect on a level that, honestly, I don't even connect with people outside of this building. But with a fellow believer, I've included you. The, sec- the next one goes along with it. Meaningful moments. When we talk about sharing, it means sharing your burdens. It means sharing uh, your difficult circumstances. Praying together. That's meaningful moment. Worshiping together. That's a meaningful moment. I- experiencing revival together. Hey, here's what God's been doing in my life and my devotion. Here's what God spoke to me during the revival meetings. This is, boy, that last message last Sunday. Boy, it late, the Lord really spoke to me. It's sharing our heart spiritually. It's sharing, hey, could you pray with me about this? Meaningful moments, things that last, they mean something. Just the other day, this past week, um, <laughs> Richie and I were sitting in the, uh, the hospital room with Rich and Angie, and, and Richie just made a comment to me. He says, man, he goes, I, I, I knew the, the church loved my parents, but man, I never knew how much. See, all the phone calls, visits, and everything else, can, can I tell you, that's a meaningful moment. It's expressed in, in doing things and spending time, I mean, caring, love. Why? Because it is honestly the foundation for what needs to happen in the local church, including verse 19 and 20 here. So there's got to be meaningful moments. And last but not least, I think this is crucial. Sometimes we leave this out. Eternal encouragement. See, we are called to exhort one another. We are called to build up, to encourage, and to do it for eternity. You know, I can tell you this, boy, uh, you're good at this physical labor. You're doing this. Uh, You do well in this. And that's great. That's encouraging. But how much better is it for me to encourage you in the Lord, spiritually? Things that will last for eternity. Remember, 
in a family. In fact, let me give you an illustration, okay? Um, having five boys, f- uh, four that really know what's going on in the world. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of competition in our house. Can you imagine? A lot of testosterone flowing, right? Everything turns into competition. My brother and I were like that, man. We turned everything into competition. And we'll, I'll, in, fa- in fact, I guess I should include myself because I turned into competition, you know. We'll uh, be sitting in a fast food restaurant and I'll say, okay, watch this. I'll make this in the trash can, you know. The only problem is I have five people that follow me. That's not a good thing in a restaurant. Uh, <laughs> but turn everything into competition. I can do this. So, and sometimes we have to remind them. I have to remind my boys, listen, we're together. We're family. We're not all about competition. In fact, we ought to be each other's biggest cheerleaders. Can I remind you, church, we are not in competition with one another. God designed it for us to be in complementation to each other. We complement each other. We build each other up. We lift each other up. We are an asset one to another. Boy, when you get that mentality, when you and I secure that attitude towards what God has designed in the local church and as a believer, oh, then God can do great things in our midst. God can bless. And again, it sets the foundation for things like this to happen. When a sinner errs, when a believer then strays or wonders, okay, now we have a connection and a relationship Upon which now I can come to you, you can come to me if you see something in my life, and you can address it, and I can receive it in the right spirit and attitude. See, there's some of you here that I have a relationship with, and the fact is I can go to you because we have a relationship. If I were to see something in your life and say, hey, you know, I don't think this is the best, or what what were you thinking here? What's going on here? I can come to you, and I trust that you can receive it as a pastoral, yea, even more so, a fellow believer encouraging and helping you. But can I tell you, I can see someone down the road doing something, and I can go up to them and say, hey, can I help you with something? Can I I tell you what you're doing wrong? I might end up with a bloody nose. Or a black eye. Why? Because there's no relationship. There's no foundation to go to them and say, hey, I, I, I noticed I'm a little concerned about this in your life. I've seen you stray and wonder from the truth of God's word. There's no foundation. Sad to say, my friend, I'll tell you this right now. In many a church, there is many a believer who another believer cannot go to them and do the same thing. Because they have refused to do exactly what's outlined here above me. To get plugged in the local church, to spend time, meaningful moments, to, to open up with fellow believers by which providing a foundation for us to do exactly what James says here. Do you realize that as James presents this to us, that one reality of the Christian life that we all must come face to face with is this? Backsliding is easy. Backsliding is easy. To wonder, and we'll see the meaning of the words here, to wonder or to roam away from the truth is easy. That's why we have to guard ourselves against it, guard our hearts. In fact, it's interesting to look at the Greek grammatical structure in the passage. It does seem to indicate that James is literally saying that it is a possibility that is likely to happen. Now, I do think that, that each of us have a little bit, a taste of backsliding at different times in our life when we allow something to maybe grow, we grow a little cold towards it. Uh, we allow little things not to be so, much, so important to us as they once should. That's why I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit knows that and he puts his finger on it at times. 
I'm, that's why I'm thankful we have revival and other meetings. And the Lord revives us and challenges us where God lays a specific message on my heart that speaks to someone's heart specifically that God knows that person needs or several people need. So God knows and he helps us. But boy, we can have those tendencies to backslide. Experience has taught us that James is dead on with this statement. With this idea that it's easy to backslide. Do you realize that the smallest root of pride or self-righteousness can cause us to err? You just let a little bit in. You let a little bit of pride. It's not dealt with. and It could be a little, a little root of bitterness. Boy, you let the smallest seed of rebellion or obstinance. You let that in, and it can lead to to roaming away from the truth of God, to wandering in one way or another within our lives. The smallest nugget of false doctrine that infiltrates our heart and our thinking, when we entertain it, it can cause us to leave the truth behind. Maybe not in its entirety, but we left off of some of the truth of God's Word. When we let just a little nugget of false doctrine enter in. You see, it's... It might not mean that we leave off coming to church or even reading the Bible, but in our lives or in our beliefs, in a particular area, we wonder from God in the principles of His Word. We know this to be true. There are many false teachers and false teachings out there today, especially with the invent of the Internet. They're all over the place. Uh, Dr. Bill said it. I've said it many times before. (laughs) If you want to believe something, you can always find someone else that believes it. Just Google it. Look for it on YouTube. You'll find it. The proliferation of so much false doctrine and teaching has called, caused many people, many people, to no longer have the conviction that there is but one truth, and that is God's Word. In fact, it leads to such statements as this. Well, it does not matter what one believes, just as so he is sincere. I've heard that. Have you? That doesn't matter what you you know. It just there's so much. It doesn't really matter what you believe. It just matters if you are sincere. And boy, so we even as believers can err from the truth and what we believe or hold to. That's our doctrine, but we can also do it in our practice. See, James' book, we've seen this. It emphasizes this truth. Can we make it in a statement? It emphasizes this: you cannot separate right doctrine and right practice. That's one of the grand themes of this book. You can't separate it. You can't make them, uh, you can't take them apart one from the other. Fact is this, right doctrine comes first, but right living must follow at once as a result. Let me put it another way. Again, James' emphasis is this. We We are not saved by how we live, but how we live demonstrates whether or not we are saved. Get that, Christian? Yeah, we're not saved by how we live. Oh, no, we're saved by grace through faith and what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. But I'll tell you, my friend, the Scriptures are replete with this truth. How you live demonstrates whether you're saved or not. It's what we talked about this morning. Whether God, Jesus Christ, is Lord of your life will come shining through. The natural effect of salvation is a separated life to God. 
That's it. We're saved to be separated unto God. So James emphasizes this. And so we can err in different ways. I'll put it this way. Heresy and false teachings and teachers are terrible things. But can I tell you this? Heresy and false practicers are just as terrible. Just as terrible. I claim the name of Jesus Christ, but my practice, my living, doesn't back it up. That's just as bad as a false teacher. That's just as bad as heresy and doctrine, uh, to not live what I am. (laughs) James says this often throughout his epistle. And so here, as we're getting into these two verses, James is saying, okay, brethren, we're trying to help one another, but let's understand that some do err. And you see it now in the verse. Do err. Some do err um, when it comes to the what? The truth. They err from the truth. Whether it be in doctrine, what we believe, allowing false doctrine or something else to creep up in, or whether it be in practice, taking the principles of the God's Word, establishing convictions by which to live, not living in accordance with the Word of God. So we can err from the truth. The the Greek word here literally means to roam or to wonder. It's somewhat innocent enough, the term is, in its intention. It indicates, in one sense of the word, that the person doesn't have an intention of going astray or rebellious streak. In fact, this word is often employed to describe someone that is led away from the or through the deceit of another. At the very least, we understand that it's always the deceit of Satan that leads someone away from the truth. So when he says someone has here, they have erred from the truth. He's literally saying they have wandered away. They have gone away from the truth. They have roamed from the truth of God, whether it be in doctrine or in living. And the word lends itself to this fact. Yeah, they may not have intended to wander away, but nonetheless they have. And they have been led astray often. In fact, the same Greek word is used in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 26. These things have I written unto you concerning them. Now notice the word here. How it's translated, seduce you. Now that's a strong word, isn't it? Same idea, same Greek word as is used in James chapter 5. So sometimes they are seduced, they are led away by another. In that passage, he mentions the false teaching that questions the deity of Jesus Christ. I think that's a pretty big doctrine thing, don't you? That Jesus Christ is indeed God. See, that's why it is so crucial. Why? Because backsliding, then, is often a gradual process. When we backslide, it, it doesn't all of a sudden happen. Boom! We just make a decision. I'm walking away from God. I'm, 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 just, I'm, I'm not going to read my Bible anymore, and I'm, just, I'm not going to go after that truth. I'm going to follow my own way. See, that typically doesn't happen. Sometimes, some, uh, somewhere, someone may have influenced me. Someone's in my ear chirping. I've read something online, and then it starts me thinking incorrectly, unbiblically. And it's a gradual process. And then I start questioning other truth of God's Word. And then I start really saying, no, I like this better, and I want this my way, not God's way. I want to go that direction. And it's a gradual process often. We are seduced. We are led away. It does not absolve someone of personal responsibility. But boy, Satan would love to lure any Christian away from the truth of God's Word. Many a Christian has been led astray through false doctrine. Even in some minor, what we might call minor doctrinal things. 
That's why it is so very important that you and I, that you and I daily are like Enoch. How was Enoch described in the Bible? He did what? He walked with, walked with God. How crucial it is for you and I to daily walk with God. Paul wrote the same idea in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Notice what he says. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Backslide. Man, we've got we, we, to hang on to the truth. We've got to walk with God on a daily basis so that you and I don't backslide, and even more so so then we can help those who do. Speaking of the truth, the the Word of God. A famous violinist was asked a simple question. How long do you practice each day? He replied that he spent 10 to 12 hours a day with his instrument. The person who asked the question simply said, so what would happen if you slacked off? In other words, you, you didn't practice that much or any at all. He said after one day... I would know it. After two days, the conductor would know it. After three days, the rest of the orchestra would know it. And after that, everybody would know it. And so it is such with every backsliding believer. Now, here's reality. Unfortunately, the backslider can hide it a lot longer. But he cannot deceive God. God knows the heart. And so, here's why it is so important what James says here. Because the fact is this. When you and I start to see in someone's life, wow, you know, they they just haven't, maybe, maybe, they just haven't been faithful to church. Or, you know what, I I just see this, this attitude creeping up as I talk with them. And that's not a, that's not a good attitude they ought to have. It certainly goes against scripture. And, and boy, they they shared this gossip. And boy, it seems like they're gossiping more. Or they were unkind to this person. We start to notice something in their life. It is so crucial for us to follow what James says here. Okay, we need to step up and help them. Because the reality is this, when you and I notice it, it's probably been going on for a while. That root probably goes deeper. It's probably been around for some time. That root of bitterness, the root of pride, or or whatever is there that has caused them to err from the truth. When you and I see it, it's probably been there a while. It's probably ingrained pretty good. And so it is so crucial for you and I... (laughs) That as fellow believers, we jump into action at the first glimpse of backsliding in a fellow believer, a brother or sister. You ever have this? I know I have. Holy Spirit pricks your heart, wants you to go talk to somebody. You don't know why that the Lord has laid that on your heart at that moment, but he has pricked your heart. He has said something to you. Hey, you need to reach out to them. You need to just talk to them. Find out how they're doing. You ever done that? And the Holy Spirit put it on your heart, and you just go to find out how they're doing, and all of a sudden, they open up. And they share a struggle that they've been going through in their life. Boy, aren't you thankful that God directs you and I at times? Times we don't necessarily see when someone is struggling spiritually, maybe in this term of backsliding, but they're erring in some way, and, and the Lord just lays on our heart, hey, go talk to them. Go spend some time with them. And you do, and oh, they open their heart to you, and all of a sudden you realize that God sent you to go fulfill this passage. And that is a great truth. But wait a second. 
What if each one of us as Christians, we sit in our pew, we put our head in the sand like an ostrich, and we don't do anything? It's not what God intended church to be. It's not what God planned the family of God to be. He wants you and I doing exactly what we are commanded here in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. So the question is this, whom am I to help? Well, then that leads to this question. Okay, all right, James, I see that I'm supposed to come up to my brothers and sisters. I built a foundation upon which we can now have this kind of relationship. How am I to help them? How in the world am I supposed to do this? Well, notice the terminology. He says this in one verse, convert him. The second verse, verse 20, he says this, converteth the sinner. The words here, you could probably guess it, they mean to turn, to bring back, to change one's direction through influence or effect. Obviously, the idea of converting here does not speak of a soul being converted from a hell-bound sinner to a heaven-destined saint. It's speaking of a believer who's gone a wrong direction spiritually. They need to be turned back to the right way, the right path. Jesus used this term in his encouragement to Peter. Notice it, Luke chapter 22, verse 32. Christ is speaking to Peter. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith shall fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. You know what Christ has just said to Peter? He's looked at Peter and said, Peter, listen, the devil has desired you. He wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to take you and shake you up. He wants to ruin your ability to minister and a testimony for for my name. He wants to mess you up. Peter looks at him and says, oh, no, 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 no. No, Lord, you don't understand. I'll never deny you. I'll go to prison. I'll go to to death. I'll follow you wherever. And then Christ looks at him and says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But I'm praying for you. Now notice it. What is he saying? He's speaking of Peter turning back. He says, when you're converted, when you come back to me. I like that. You know what he's saying? I'm praying for you. You know one of the great things you can do for a backslidden believer is pray for them. Take it before the Lord. Not only go to them and help them, but pray for them often. Christ did it. And I don't know about you, I'm sure no better than Christ. He's a great example of how we are to treat others. He prayed for them. You know, here's what's encouraging. Did you catch it in the verse? And this ought to be encouraging to every one of us that have moments of backsliding is this. He says, when you are converted, you in turn can strengthen the brethren. I'm so thankful that even after we backslide, God isn't finished with us. He's not done with us. We can still be used. We can still glorify him. We can be reconciled to the family and be brought to a position where we can help people once again. Can I just put it this way? If you connect scriptures together, do you realize what Christ was doing there in Luke? He was already obeying James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Before Peter fell, before Peter walked away from the truth, denying he knew Christ, Christ is already saying, I'm praying for you. He goes to Peter and says, Peter, listen, I'm praying for you. And I, I'm praying that when you're converted, man, you'll be able to strengthen the brother. Here's Christ already practicing this. So what does it demand? It demands that you and I as believers be ready and equipped to convert. The bottom line of how do I help? Pastor Henry, I get it. I understand. In the family of God, I'm supposed to help a backslidden believer. I should. I have a responsibility to go and exhort them and encourage them. But how in the world do I do that? 
Well, the power is found in this simple truth. John chapter 8 and verse 32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The power is in that verse. And yet there's a big prerequisite for you and I being used to help someone be free of an, an erroneous path, a path away wandering from the truth. And in fact, it is found in the verse right before verse 32. We love this one. It's a good verse. Shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. But you realize there's a prerequisite for that? Verse 31. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. See, the truth of God's word has to be pleasant. You and I have to be ready and equipped. You and I can't help a backslidden fellow believer unless we are equipped with the truth of God's word. Unless we take the truth of God's word to help them be prepared and ready. Now listen to me. Listen. It's not with my own rationale, my own thinking, my own means of persuasion. In other words, I have heard good-intentioned Christians go to someone upon which they have a good foundation. That Christian is erring from the truth, and they go to him, and they say something like this. You know, we've been friends forever, and I just, I'm concerned about the way you're going. You don't really want to hurt me, do you? You don't want to hurt your friends. Well, that's good for some. Hey, hey, you know, your, boy, your mom and dad will be so disappointed. If you keep going, this, you know, don't, you need to think of them. Can I tell you, at that moment, I don't really want them thinking of mom and dad as much as I want them thinking of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the truth. We want them thinking like David, I have sinned against God. We want them to understand, wait a minute, it is not my power of persuasion. No, I want them to understand that they have erred and sinned against God. There's many types of persuasion. Well, yeah, we've poured so much into you. We've invested in you. Boy, we, we've done so much together. And that sounds good. But my friend, you are not called upon to reach the backslider with your own persuasion. You're called upon to reach him with what? The truth of God's word. Why? Because the truth of God's word is what will make them free from their path of error. It will set them free. It will make them free. How I've heard such persuasions such as this. But, but what will others think about you? Again, I don't care what others think about you. I only care what God thinks. What God's Word says. Because when we take care of what God thinks and knows about me, everything else will fall into place. So we have to understand that I have to be prepared and ready. You see... Those might sound good, those words and statements of persuasion, but they, they are not what should be used to bring back a backslidden brother. He or she needs the one and only truth that can make someone free from the path of error. So what's the first impetus? Okay, so let's, what do we take away from this statement? How do I, how do I help? Number one, you've got to do this. You've got to be ready, Christian. You've got to know God's Word. You've got to be equipped and, and ready to go. One of the things I like, um, uh, Andrew Rickard and a firefighter down here at Fostoria, and they do a whole lot of things to get ready. The, the fire trucks, I mean, you can drive by there. They're washing it. They're making sure all the equipment's there and, and everything. And so they are ready to go, just like any other fire department. You see the, uh, you, you see the um, I'm not, I almost said hearses, but let's not call it hearses. I'm trying to say the ambulance. <laughs> okay, um, there's a difference between an ambulance and a hearse. Anyway. 
Um, uh, Okay, the ambulance. And so they make sure they have all the things in the ambulance they need so that they're ready when they get called, when they see a need. And so they are primed and ready to go. I know Andrew was out on Friday a long time and with all the wind and everything else. And so they are ready to go at the moment's call. And we've all seen Andrew run out after he gets his beeper and everything else. And so he's gone out. And boy, they go fast. They're ready to go. They're ready to Here's the point. They don't get there. Andrew and his friends and the fellow firefighters don't get down there. Okay, now where do we put that hose? Where, where do we put the extinguishers? Hey, where's the keys to the vehicles? Where is my coat and my hat? Can I tell you? That would be the first and last time they get called. Amen? Because that's not equipped. That's not ready to go. They're not ready. Can I tell you, my friend, when you and I as believers, we see God speaks through our heart, that is not the time to start getting ready to help someone We've got to always be ready. We've got to have the truth. We've got to be equipped. You know, you know what else I like about the firefighters? <laughs> Not only are they ready, but they go after the fire. And you know what, Christian, you and I are called to do? To go after the backslidden one. We are called to reach out to him. Again, prerequisite is a relationship we described at the beginning that built on time and everything else. I understand that. But once we have that foundation, once we've been plugged into church and we have this family connectivity, the fact is this, I ought to be aware where someone is backsliding, they've erred from the truth, and then the impetus is now on me to be ready, but to also go after them. Go talk with them. Speak up. I care about you enough. Boy, we've we've grown together. We've grown in the Lord together. And I see some things in your life that, that, that aren't pleasing to him, that are a little bit off track. And boy, I'm coming as a fellow believer in love. So be ready. Go after them. Do you remember that Christ not only prayed for Peter, but Christ pursued Peter to the bank where he was fishing? Peter ran away. He went back to his old lifestyle. And Christ was resurrected and he came and he found Peter. He pursued Peter. Like the one who goes, like the shepherd who goes and looks for the one lost out of a hundred, that was Christ. And so you and I must be sensitive to one another and such. Can I put it this way? The backslider needs someone with the shepherd's heart to be concerned enough for their reconciliation and restoration, to be sickened enough over their error to do something about it. To have the shepherd's heart. To say, I care. I care enough. I think this next part is so crucial. It requires love. Now now remember, everything is in the foundation. Okay, that time spent together, we have seen it in our study of the church. Love is a crucial part of the church community. It is that which circulates in everything we do. People are supposed to know we're his disciples by our love, not just for them, but for one another. So love is in all of this. So then the question says this. What do I want to accomplish through my help? So whom am I to help? How am I to help? Now, what, am I, what do I want to accomplish through my help? Look at the very beginning of verse 20. It says this, Let him know. 
He's not speaking to the one in sin. He's speaking to you and I as believers. This is written to the one who can help. It's encouraging us to understand fully, to have confidence in the very fact that the result mentioned here of the action is going to happen. In other words, he's saying this. Hey, hey, know this. Be confident that you do this and this will happen. Well, what is that? Well, notice it. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. What he is saying is, listen, hey, Christian, I don't know if I could go and, and, and confront a backslider. I, I know so-and-so, boy, they're, I've seen some things in their life, some warning signs. I've seen some flags. and It seems like they're getting away from God. And, but I, I don't think I can do that you know what james is saying he's saying this it makes the risk worth it all if you can play a part in turning him back and he says boy if you do that you're going to save a soul from death and save him and hide or cover a multitude of sins so god in heaven is telling you and me listen Don't let fear defeat you from doing what God has called you to do. This statement, let him know, literally it's a gamble justifying promise from God. Risk it. Go talk to that backslider. Be a fellow believer that loves and cares enough to go talk to them. Literally, you can take it to the bank that if he is converted, if that brother or sister turns back to God, you have accomplished exactly what James says here. So, no more fearing. Well, what are they going to say? It's worth the risk. But, But pastor, what if they get mad at me? Can I tell you from experience? They just might. But you know what James is saying? It's worth the risk. Well, pastor, I... What if they turn and attack me? They start pointing their finger at things in my life. It is worth the risk. Well, what if they get mad at me and they don't talk to me? What if if they give me the cold shoulder every time I see them? My friend, it is worth the risk. Are you catching the theme? But pastor, whoa, whoa, whoa. What if they leave the church? It is worth the risk. Let me tell you something. If you approach a fellow believer, a church member with a right heart over some sin in their life, and your motive for doing so is pure and in accordance with this passage, if they leave the church after you have confronted them, let me tell you, friend, it's 99% likely that they have already left the church in their heart a long time ago. Because they have checked out of time, the foundation, time together, the moments of, of meaningfulness. They, they have checked out on information inclusivity. They've checked out on eternal encouragement. So the foundation probably isn't there for you to go. But in your care and love for them, you have gone and you have confronted them. Can I tell you, if they will not hear you, it's interesting. The, the Bible says if they hear you, you've gained a brother. Well, sometimes they won't hear you. Now, I'll tell you, my friend, if that is the case, don't you fret. It's not your fault. In fact, the Bible says that you have been faithful. 
You've done what the Bible's commanded you to. They have strayed from the truth in their heart, so it's a natural consequence that they will stray from the church, which God has called the pillar of truth. Did you catch what he said? He said, here's here's a believer that has erred from what? The truth. And if they have erred from the truth, you better be certain that if it continues and they don't respond and get reconciled, they're going to move away from the pillar of truth which is the church of Jesus Christ. So I tell you all this is this. It's worth the risk. We're called in a family to confront one another, to challenge one another, yes, in love, with a grand foundation of the family connectivity. But don't sit back and say, well, I, I couldn't do that. What if, what if they get mad? Boy, I've known them for years. Great. Hopefully in those years you've built a foundation upon which you can go talk to them. You can confront them. It's God's plan here. We've said it before. The Christian life takes work. Life within the church takes work. It also takes courage. It takes courage to confront, to talk to someone who is backslidden. Let him know the statement. Do you realize what it's given for? It's intended to stir up in us this grand task, to not be weary in well-doing when it comes to reaching the wanderer, to coming alongside the backslidden, doing our best to turn them back to the truth. What is James trying to do? He's trying to ignite and encourage this neglected part of the church family dynamic, literally a part of church discipline. So what's guaranteed? What is the guarantee of the promise when he is converted? We don't have time. Let me just mention them briefly. The first one, you see it there before you, shall save a soul from death. What he is saying is that you have possibly played a part in saving him from the greatest earthly chastening that, uh, that can flow from the Father's hand. Did you catch that? You possibly have saved him from the greatest earthly chastening that, has flow, that, that can flow Excuse me, from the Father's hand. What is that? Death, calling him home to heaven as an unfaithful servant. Why would God do that? 1 Corinthians 11. Why would he do that? Why would he call a believer home? Well, I'll tell you, number one, he takes sin seriously. Now, let's say it clearly. That, that isn't always the case. This isn't, doesn't play out in every single errant, errant believer's life. We understand that, but sometimes it does. Why? Because God expects his children to obey. More so than he expects an unbeliever to obey because he is not his child. What if, what if I'm, let's say I'm in a public playground, and I'm with my children there, and, and they and some other children who aren't mine, they just met them on the, the playground, as children do, they're playing together, and they're having a good time, and they st- go start climbing on a wall or something, or let's say a tree, and, and I see them doing it, and I say, hey, hey, guys, get down. Let's not climb on that. Well, who do I expect to obey right away and first of everybody? Well, my children. I'm not going to care as much as those children who look at me like, who are you, (laughs) and keep climbing up the tree. Now, that may be disrespectful. I understand that. But the reality is, these youngins down here, they better obey and obey right away. Why? Because I expect more of them. Hey, Christian, do you realize your God expects a lot more of you than he does the world? He does. And because of that, he chastens us. And sometimes it is even unto death if we do not repent it is not a scare tactic my friend it just tells you and i how serious god takes sin in our life 
So you and I need to say, man, that, that person's really backsliding. I don't, want, I don't want the ultimate thing on earth to happen to them. Boy, I want to reach out. I want to love on them. I want to prevent it. But I also think there is possibly uh, here in this passage that this is a, uh, there's a sense in the statement that James is saying that this person is wasting his life. I mean, it's like death for a Christian to waste his life, to not live it for the glory of God. And, and so he may just be saying, hey, you're saving a person, a Christian, from wasting his life, which is like la- the walking dead. <laughs> what are we supposed to live to? Well, live unto Christ. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Why did Paul say that? Because he wanted to live this life unto Christ. So a wasted life is, in many sense, like death. So restoration to God means a life Gaining back its purpose and ability to be lived for God. Again, you gain a brother is the statement elsewhere. Last but not least, he says this, shall hide a multitude of sins. Get this and we're done. When someone wanders from the truth, what happens? Well, if they continue down their path, now listen, young person especially, if you get to a rebellious stage in your life and you rebel against God and his truth and his things and you go down that path, what happens is with every decision, you heap more sins onto yourself. Every decision, you're adding to your account of sins. They add up. The more and farther you stray, the more you falter, the more sins you add to your account. And yet it's twofold. See, a backsliding in in one believer, catch it, is very dangerous to the church. When one believer, a part of the local family, uh, the local church, backslides, it's very dangerous to the church. Why? A wandering believer, a sinner, can influence others and lead them astray down the path of the same path of thinking and doing wrong. Wisest man that ever lived. He wrote this, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. That's pretty strong and heavy, isn't it? It's good. He also wrote this, but one sinner destroyeth much good. You say, I don't know about that. Hey, could I ask you, just ask Achan? Just ask Achan. Can one sinner cause a whole lot of damage? You better believe it. He could cause a whole nation to be defeated. So, young person, this is why it's so important. Hey, teenager, can I tell you? You can, do, you can harm our youth group if you're backsliding tonight. If you're going away from God and you're not making him Lord of your life, you can harm the youth group of Fostoria Baptist Church. Hey, young person, you go to a Christian school, this applies. One sinner destroyeth much good. In a local church, the same is true. So James says what? You, know, you accomplish hiding or covering a multitude of sins, meaning that the wonder can be wonderfully forgiven. Here's a great truth. Prodigal son, that path you go down and all those choices, you've heaped more sins to your account. Aren't you grateful that a backsliding believer can come straight back to God? You can confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. All that multitude of sins that you have heaped up to your account. Can I tell you, our God is so good and gracious that all you must do is confess them and repent of them and you'll be forgiven. Just like you were at the cross of Calvary when you came for salvation. There's nothing better than that. 
That's one of the joys of coming alongside someone and saying, hey, I, man, I notice you've gotten astray. I, I notice you've erred from the truth. And man, I care about you so much. I, I, I love you deeply. And I know God has better things for you. I know he wants more for you. And you're, you're turning your back. Man, come back to God. Let me encourage you. Let me pray with you. And my goodness, you see that life come back to God. And you see the relief on them when they finally confess it all. And they get right with God. What have you done? Well, the verse said it. You have hidden a multitude of sins. They're covered now. They are under the blood. And yet at the same time, the fact is this. When you do that to a backslider, when you come alongside them, you see them turn, convert, they come back to the truth. You know what you've done? You've prevented a whole bunch of trouble in the local church. In the family of God. We just saw, but one sinner destroyeth much good. If we let a teenager in our youth group, if we let a teenager go their own way and they turn their back on God, and yes, they're here physically, but in their heart, they're not following God. He is not Lord of their life. Hey, it's not pastor, youth pastor. Hey, 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 a deacon. Hey, Sunday school teacher. You shouldn't meddle. You better believe we're going to meddle spiritually. You better believe we're going to care enough to come alongside that young person. Hey, what's going on? Sure doesn't seem like you love God like you used to. It doesn't seem like you're, you want to follow after him. What is the problem? How can we help? Can I pray with you? Why? Because I'll tell you, my friend, not only are we going to help them, but we're going to prevent a lot of bad within our youth group. So it doesn't matter, youth group, our young adults, our older adults, our children, it does not matter. There is impetus that James is putting before you and I. We must care enough to come along in the backslider and say, listen, I want to help you. At the same time, I'm protecting the purity of the church. So it's so crucial. It's so integral for every believer to look out for one another. To care. In a sense, to have a good idea what others' spiritual temperature is. Now look up this way, and I'm done. It is impossible for me, the deacons, to know the spiritual temperature of every member of Fostoria Baptist Church. Impossible. But I'll tell you, it is not impossible for the church to know the spiritual temperature of every member of the church. And so if you and I will care enough, and we impact in one, two, three each, can, you, can I tell you what we do? We can maintain the health of the body of Christ. We have our radar up. People have their radar up for us. And they're concerned. and They love us enough and we love them enough to speak up, to, to, to step up, to be ready to go after them. And right now we're working on equipping ourselves. We're making sure that there's not a two-by-four sticking out of our eyes when we're going after their toothpick. And we're equipped with the truth of God's Word and we are ready. And I've noticed that I, I need to talk to them this weekend. I need to give them a phone call. Hey, i got to go come alongside them after church and say, hey, I noticed this. Is something going on? Is there something I can pray for you about? I'm concerned about you. I love you. I care about you. Is there something that we can talk about? Is there something you want to talk about? It's as simple as saying, okay, I'm going to go after them. I'm going to care. And yet we all have to be of the same heart to give the confronting, but also to receive the confronting. 
What does it go back to? Time. Building a family dynamic of connectivity upon which you and I can fulfill this passage. Can I tell you, why in the world did James end this letter on this? You may be looking around like, where is the rest of this letter? (laughs) He ends like that? Yeah. You know why? Because it's crucial for the health of the local church. And what is the local church? But simply many members together, many individual Christians who God wants to be Christ-like. Let me ask you two questions. We're done. Number one, are you ready and equipped to help someone else? Are you in a position spiritually where you can help someone else? Hey, we've got to make sure things are right in our own life before we can help someone else. So are you ready and equipped? And number two, can I ask you this? Who's in your sphere of influence that may be a little backslidden right now? Oh, I know we, we all can have struggles, but you know the difference between someone who's just struggling once, but someone who has a pattern of backsliding in something. Who might it be that God's laying on your heart tonight? Saying for their health, their, their spiritual health, but also for the health of the church, I want you to go talk to them this week. I, I want you to just encourage them. And it may be that he's just saying to you, hey, go spend a little time with them first. Because in a year, two years down the road, I'm going to need you to go be this brother. I'm going to need you to be the one who comes alongside of them. Because if they go down a path, but you are establishing right now this time with them, a foundation. So who's it going to be? Who's it going to be, friend? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge of it, Lord.